welcome Ollie Dixon to the show of Before the Crowds. Uh, Ollie and myself have studied together um, through many years, learning drums, uh, everything kind of music, the challenges, the trials, the tribulations that we face. So what we want to do in this podcast is look at the relevance of session musicians in the 21st century, maybe where the industry has come from, how it's grown, and what's going to happen in the future. So thanks for being a guest today, Ollie. It's all right. Good to see you, as always. And Yeah, as always. <laughs> I just instantly, I was like, are you being sarcastic? Yeah, like, okay. Um, so kind of like starting off, obviously, we're talking about session musicians, which is a pretty broad subject area. Yeah. Uh, you're obviously a drummer. Mm-hmm. What are you working on right now? So... Uh, do you mean in my personal playing or kind of... Uh, uh, kind of the artists or... you're working with, um, uh, the projects you're involved in? Yeah, so I've got my own band, uh, which is called The Maida Vales, is in the place in London, mm-hmm. Maida Vale. Um, and that's kind of like the original project, I guess. So that's my band. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we, what we do is we, we've kind of honed our craft through you know we do weddings and stuff like that on the side but then we bring that tightness and that kind of experience into the original side of things and so our music is kind of indie rock but we try and make it a bit more interesting a bit more fun Mm. and it seems to be serving us quite well at the moment um we've just got a new single coming out soon which we just filmed the video for so that's kind of what i'm pouring my energy into at the moment okay but i also play on this more sessiony side of things i play for a guy called matt pierce Okay. Which is like um, blues rock, nice blues infused rock. Sorry, um, that's really fun. Just did a tour with him at the end of last year. Um, Where did you tour? Where did you go? Just around the UK. Okay. Yeah, so it's all the uh, kind of like almost got them backwater venues, but they're not quite backwater <laughs> venues. Some really good places. So we went around. Uh, we did Oslo in London, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great place. Um, Oran Morans uh, in Glasgow. Okay. Which uh, was one I'd heard about but I'd never really been to, and that was really cool. Nice. It's all sort of like 300 to 500 cap places. But still good venues, and, and especially for that time of year. So that was around December towards the yeah, end of last year? Yeah, it was end of November to beginning of December, yeah. Okay. Um, do you think that, um, and we've instantly touched on something which I was going to come on to later, but yeah. do you think the time of year really makes a difference to how many gigs are available, when people are going out and spending money? Yeah, for sure. Like, you can see at the end of a year, there's, there's two sort of really busy periods, I would say, and that being the summer, mm-hmm. which is great for, like, uh, not just, like, the corporate side of things, but even just as, like, original artists. Festivals everywhere. Yeah, festivals. Yeah. Everyone's just generally in a better mood. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, like, promoters are more willing to put on gigs because everyone's out and about, so original artists have more opportunities around that time, yeah. which means me as a session player is probably going to have a few more opportunities. Um, and then also just before, just before the new year, sort of the lead up to new year, it's kind of, everyone seems to have like a blowout. Yeah. It's just like, no, let's go, let's do it. Let's just put all the music on. And then January just dives right down and you have to go back to teaching and definitely all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'd say summer and then the end of the year. So those are the two main points of essentially making money because it is your living. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do tie it in with other stuff, like I said, teaching, mm. um, a few little bits here and there. Um, but I do make most of my living off of off of gigging and, and playing music. And there are some places, there's a few venues which just reliably put on music throughout the year. Yeah. And if you can get in there, then you can maybe have a few gigs in the quiet period and stuff like that. And it's, it's not completely closed off. Do you have any sort of uh, jam nights or like regular 
sort of slots that you'll fill in as part of a house band or anything like that um, on a weekly basis? Yeah, so on Sunday nights there's a venue in Camden called the Blues Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they do a Sunday night jam. And it's kind of like a revolving door with anything at the Blues Kitchen. They're sort of more of a collective of musicians that um, sometimes you'll get loads of work, sometimes you won't because another drummer's coming in and sort of having his busy time there. Okay. Um, but the jam night, I've been there fairly regularly on Sunday nights and that's always fun I'm not a huge fan of jam nights personally okay um, I don't really want to spend my evening watching guitarists just shred and <laughs> especially the blues ones right yeah exactly but there's something about that jam I think because I can suffer blues better than I can suffer like fusion and jazz <laughs> and stuff like that um, but I, I, I really like it and I kind of know the people there now I know the regulars so it's quite nice to just go down and say hello and have a drink and yeah, definitely. Just, just jam out a bit. Do you find like obviously because you're you're more established now, but you can actually rely on gigging as as your income. Before that, did you find that the jam circuit and the open mic scene was something you had to do? Um, I never felt like it was anything I had to do. It was more a case of I wanted to meet people. It wasn't that I wanted to go to the jam night and I thought. I have to do the jam night. Mm. I just wanted to meet people and I thought the easiest way to do it was the jam night. Okay. There are other ways of doing it. That could be putting an advert up at a rehearsal studio. Mm-hmm. Could just be going onto forums on the internet, Facebook and stuff like that. But I think the easiest way for any musician is to go down to a jam night and just go, this is what I've got. Do you like it? And someone will go, cool, I love your playing, man. Do you want to play this gig or do you want to just jam out? Do you want to mm. start something? It's just kind of like, cutting out a lot of time in the middle. Is that how you started the Maid of Ales? No, I started the Maid of Ales. I So I joined the Maid of Ales after they started. But I, uh, the guitarist, who you probably know is a guy, uh, Matteo Cervenin. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. he, they had some problems with their drummer. Um, sadly, nothing, you know, no nothing political, but he just couldn't do it for a while. Um, that makes a change. Yeah. It's just yeah. problems with a drummer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the always classic. the way. It's always the way. Um, so I just got in and um, depth for six months for them. Okay, wow. And um, yeah, because the, their other drummer wasn't very well, unfortunately. Oh, okay. And he came back and I thought, cool, that was that, done, that was really fun, really nice to meet those guys. Mm-hmm. Finished. And then, uh, and then a couple of months later, I actually got a call from Matteo again, who was just like, yeah, he's giving us problems again, but it's not health related. Do you want to just join the band? Oh, okay. And I'm like, yeah, sure. okay. Kind of came out of the blue a little bit. Because um, I was sort of prepping myself to think, well, I've lost the Maid of Ales now, I've done that, so let's move on to the next thing. Mm. And it suddenly just came back, and I was sort of like thrown off by it a little bit. And I guess that's part of it as well, it's just keeping that reputation alive, because mm. if you, you might disagree with me, but if you have that kind of, well, I'm here for six months, don't really matter, because at the end of that, I'm gone. But yeah. you never know when you're going to get that call back. Absolutely not. Especially in a situation like that, where you are pretty sure, you feel like you're fulfilling a job, so you can kind of see an end line. Mm. Insight. There, there's definitely artists you play for where you don't see the end line because any day you could get dropped or you could play for that artist for 50 years. Yeah. You, know, you don't know where it's going to end. Whereas with that, I did know where it was going to end, but I was wrong. And I don't <laughs> think anyone in the band expected that either. Um, but it was nice. It was nice to get a call back because at that time I needed the work. Yeah. And it was regular work. And they're all really great guys. So. And nice. that makes a difference as well when you, you know, like if you're on tour, like less than 10% of your time is on stage actually mm. doing the show. It's, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but someone told me an expression of 
it's not when you're on tour it's not about who you're on stage with it's who you're on the bus with yeah it's just you yeah. know spending the other 23 and a half hours sleeping next to those people eating with those people absolutely yeah and uh, i've been very fortunate i've not done many tours like big tours in my life but the few that i have i've got on so well with everybody mm. um and it's been a real unit yes and i think that's what being a session player kind of in the lower levels of what we do because i don't play for anyone huge I'm not mm. on a big pop tour or anything like that. Mm. But the tours I do do, I'm friends with everybody. Yeah. And it really does make a difference, both, like, like you said, on the bus and just getting on with the daily life, but also on stage. There's a chemistry there. Yeah. Um, and you can see when you watch a band, like, these guys aren't... Yeah. They're not friends. No, absolutely. And it's interesting because when I played for Matt at the tour at the end of last year, mm. we were supporting a bigger band, a bigger artist in the blues scene. But he, he had a bit of a reputation, and um, and I didn't see it. I remember I remember thinking, I've heard all these awful things about this guy. He's, every time I go and say hello to him, he's so nice and welcoming, mm. and he'll shake my hand, he'll ask how I am. I just don't understand. And then one day, we were playing in Birmingham, I think. It was one of the, the, one of the last nights of the tour, and he was talking to his sound guy, because his sound guy was just saying, you need to hurry up with a sound check the band Matt Pierce needs to get on a sound check. Okay, yeah. And he was like, yeah, but it's your fault. Not taking any of the credit for obviously ruining the whole sound check experience and yeah. stuff like that. And he was just like, he was like, don't talk to me like that, man. So just don't start like that. And I was like, okay, that's a bit strange. And then afterwards I saw him walk up to the sound guy and just rip him apart. For really? no reason. Yeah, like swearing at him, threatening his job, threatening his career. Because he, he's just, he's a kid. He's like, well, I say kid, he's about our age, mm. 26, yeah. 25, 26, who just thinks he's on top of the world because he won like Blues Guitarist of the Year five years ago or something like that. So he's still riding that wave and that sort of elevated him into a different stratosphere. Yeah, but at the end of the day, he's still playing to 200 people. Like, you're not playing the O2 Arena. Yeah. And to bring it back, that's where his band are on a retainer. So they only play for him and they're paid well per month. But they just don't like him. And you can see it because they don't hang out with him afterwards before yeah. and on stage everyone sort of is just like maybe the drum and the bass player get on really really well so they're kind of having their thing and the keyboard player is great so he's doing his thing but there's just cracks in it you can there's see no the connectivity between yeah, the whole yeah. band yeah. and I think that's so crucial as a session player to really get on with who you're playing with mm. uh, even if you don't get on with them at least act professional with them yeah there's a certain courtesy I mean and everyone's going to have I've played in bands before where someone's like like a guitar player has made a homophobic joke yeah and it's interesting because you're kind of like okay well obviously like you know you've got friends who uh you know are maybe gay or, or, or whatever yeah. and you feel like you've got this right and you have to stick up for those people mm. and just to make this arsehole change his mind about stuff absolutely but you're like but i could lose my job if i do that mm. or completely sour everybody else's experience for I, the next month i was gonna say do you feel like that changed when you heard that did that change your experience of the whole thing or is it kind of something you were like that sucks and i should stand up for them but it's okay I'm not okay but like it's a weird scenario because i think it's so easily it's so easy for anybody to be offended over a comment mm -hmm. and i think i'm very quick to bite back on stuff like that if i think somebody's being unjust or being prejudiced to someone and so yeah. in that situation i just had to take a moment and think okay did i hear that out of context is that an, a joke he's having with somebody, like an in-joke? Like, is he being right. ironic? Yeah. Is there something that I'm not seeing here? 
and then like it never happened again but like if it was continually like if someone was I don't know just like having to go at gay men or something and calling them these horrible horrible names yeah. and then I would jump in and say dude that's not cool it's tough as well if you don't know the person as well you don't understand the context of where that comment's coming from yeah I mean um, like I, I think when you get like a bunch of lads together you can be absolute degenerates yeah people say stupid shit all the time and, and it's almost just an outlet of saying stuff that you don't even mean or it's yeah. venting or it comes out wrong or it's the wrong word yeah absolutely so you have to pick your moments on that stuff yeah you can let certain things slide or I think we're clever enough or, or bright enough to <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I, I maybe jumping the gun there. <laughs> um, I think I'd like to think we are emotionally intelligent enough to know where that comes from yeah and that's what it is and you can tell when people aren't emotionally intelligent and I think emotional intelligence as well is a big thing in the session world mm. the people who seem to be ticking over not necessarily again doing the big gigs but who are making a living ticking over getting by are quite emotionally intelligent people. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're just going to have your ego hurt all the time. And, and if a gig goes badly and you start crying and throwing your toys out the pram, whether it's at someone or just at yourself, mm. you're not going to get the call back. Mm. And so you have to have a certain mental strength in this. Definitely. And how do you think, because we've all had gigs, but haven't gone as well as we wanted to because whether it's something you've done or something someone else has done, how have you kind of built that, that mental prowess up? Um, it's kind of 50-50. I was actually thinking about this recently. Um, I'd say half of it is experience. Mm. So, you know, it's kind of like, to, to use a, maybe a, a very over-the-top term, but, you know, the scars of those things happening mm. gives you that barrier. So you just learn from your mistakes. Yeah. And think, okay, that was terrible. I felt awful for a week afterwards. I don't want that to happen again. Mm -hmm. So you prepare better or you will um, focus more when you're playing. So that kind of fixes generally that side of things. That's like self-improvement on a technical level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's also, I found what works for me, and I'm only speaking to my, for myself here, is I have had to sit down and sort of have chats with myself. And it... It's, I'm not saying like out loud, but you know, I will sit down and think about what's coming up and gigs that I'm particularly nervous about. Okay. And I will have to talk myself round, not into doing the gig, because I'm always going to do the gig. I'm really excited for it. But just don't doubt yourself. Prepare properly, learn your shit, and it's going to be okay. And then yeah. there's the other side, which is like, oh yeah, but what if this goes wrong? Oh, that middle eight's really hard. I always, when I'm practicing, I always miss that chorus. It's like, don't worry about it. You're going to be okay. Yeah. The, the big thing I, someone told me was if someone didn't think you were capable of doing the job, you wouldn't be on the job. That's very true. And it's a good way to, a good mentality to keep. Yeah. And it's really tough to keep that mentality as well, because I think one of the biggest things in being a musician is self-doubt. I think that is mm. such a huge thing, wherever you are on the spectrum, whether it's just like, oh, I don't know if I can play that chorus or... The other end of the spectrum, which is, I'm the worst musician ever. Why am I here? What's the point in being alive in some, some respects? Yeah, yeah. Wherever you are on that spectrum, you just have to trust and build the trust in yourself and the people who are around you mm. and just think, I'm here for a reason. Yeah, of course. I might not be the best at the job. They could easily, Everyone could be outplayed by someone. Mm, of course. But I am here and I can do the job. And it's just saying that to yourself over and over definitely and I think it's interesting how you say that because 
it's so funny how you can perceive yourself to be like, oh, I'm, you know, all the things you just listed. Mm. But other people don't necessarily see that. No. And they're just like, no, nah, he's got this down, whether you're a drummer, a guitar player, whatever. Like, yeah, he can do that. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I remember talking to a friend of mine who, um, this was in Ecuador, and I've got no idea what the artist was called, but he's, he's from Ecuador. Right. And um, he had to learn this this big, big sax solo. He got the, literally the call on the day mm. in his hometown, and it was like, um, you know, main stage Glastonbury type stuff. Yeah. And he showed me the video because somebody filmed it, and he was so nervous, and the sheets they gave him, the chance were in the wrong key, and it was written for the wrong saxophone oh, and no. everything. And they went into rehearsal and figured out it was completely wrong. And the guy was like, well, you got two hours, you got to do it. And he was like, oh my God. And he just, he transcribed it like mad. And he was like, okay, I think I've got this. Um, no music on stage because we don't want that. No, of course, yeah. So he gets up on stage, gets to the solo. <laughs> and he told me he just stopped and he panicked. But it's such an iconic, it's, it's like the, um, I don't know, the intro to Hotel California. Everybody knows it and right, you can sing okay. it. Yeah, it's yeah, one of yeah. those. And he said he got on stage, it came to the solo, and he just froze. And so he just put his sax down and he went into the mic and went, come on, everybody, and started clapping his hands to oh, a beat. really? And then the, the crowd just took, it's you know, a sweet child of mine, like, you know, the crowd yeah, yeah, sings yeah. the melody on that. That's amazing. And then the guy just turned to me after the show because he was like, oh my God, I've got fired. Oh God, I'm not going to get paid. Damn, yeah, that yeah. was my rent this month. Yeah, yeah. And the guy just went, I love it. <laughs> you got everyone involved and he was like yeah man I know yeah, <laughs> yeah I know just yeah. Like, <gasps> yeah 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 <laughs> so giving himself that's, a heart attack you know that's the thing because before that he had the confidence to sit and think I've got this mm. and that's what you have to do even if you get up there and you do screw it up and it all falls apart if you can do that with confidence and this kind of almost like false bravado could be real bravado mm. or false bravado you know you get you have to wrong and strong is what I think Yes, I was always told wrong and strong, and pull it back, and just trust in yourself that you can pull it back mm. somehow. And I think it's getting that, like being able to identify, like if it is a technical thing, where um, I don't know, say you fudge an ending, mm. um, and like I'm sure we've all been there when you know you think yeah. it's like a zoop, like a real short hit, and it's like awkward. But you just go, okay, why did I do that? Did I not know the song well enough? Mm. Was I daydreaming? And I think having that integrity to actually pick yourself apart. Yeah, definitely. I really like the Mike Johnston analogy of, you know, if you're if you're a knight wearing a suit of chainmail armor, you have to go through every single link to find your weaknesses. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's a, yeah, it's a really good way of saying it. And, and not just as you as a player, but also you as a person as well, when you're around other professionals. Because, you know, you can get people who maybe fudge an ending, like you said. Mm. And it doesn't sound that bad, might not be the worst thing in the world, but they'll try and find excuses. Yeah, just like oh, I didn't, man, you didn't tell me it was gonna be like that. Yeah, like, there was a light in my eye. I blinked. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> what? Yeah, if, if that could be the case, but I'm sure you should have been prepared enough to know that that was the ending. If you just come up to me, say a guitarist messed up an ending and said, "Man, I'm really, really sorry about that. I just wasn't focused, or I wasn't quite sure." I'd rather someone say that than just be like, "Oh, well, I thought it was gonna be like this," and uh, blah blah blah. Yeah. It's like, whatever, dude, just yeah, own yeah. it. Yeah, own it. Um, yeah, no, definitely. I think that's very true. And one thing I was gonna say to you, talking about. Uh, I don't know, like maybe the, the not the integrity, um, you know, the conversations between different musicians. Yeah. And one thing I really respect about you and something you said immediately starting this, you were like, I am not on a huge pop tour, like you're not Rihanna's drummer, you're no. not. But no. you've got, I don't know if you found this, but there's such a tendency to name drop and it drives me insane mm -hmm. when it that doesn't prove your worth. 
No. As a session musician, if you say, I've worked with... And we can all name drop to some degree. Yeah. And But I don't I don't think that should be a deciding factor. No. And I, I don't mind... Honestly, I don't mind people name dropping because usually the people I know and hang around with, there's a good story coming afterwards. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's the difference, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So if it's, just, if it's someone that's like, yeah, but I've worked with them and I've worked with them, it's like, cool, I'm really happy for you. Yeah. I had breakfast this morning. It was lovely. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Where's the point of this? Where's the relevance? Yeah, exactly. Whereas someone said, oh man, I was once working with Elton John and this happened. I'm instantly hooked because yeah. the name is like, this is going to be good. Here yeah. we go. So it's it's kind of knowing the person that's going to say it and the context mm. of everything. Um, is but that a difference between an anecdote and just boasting? Exactly, yeah, yeah. And I'm fortunate, personally, that I don't know many people who boast. Um, I've not really been around that that much. But do you think that makes the difference to actually um, sort of being in this London music scene that the guys who do boast, the, boost, the guys who do boast maybe I aren't getting that much work because who wants to hang around with those guys? That's it. I think the, the people who boast like that have something to prove because they are not happy with where they are mm. or possibly even who they are. And so they they feel like they have to throw these names in because it's going to give them, like you said, a kind of... It's... Uh, what's the word for it? Like it's going to make them look like they're bigger and better than they are. So yeah. they think, oh, I've worked with this guy, this guy. They Instantly, everyone in the room is going to go... Oh, if you work with them, can you work for me? And that kind of it's like doesn't work like that, you know. But like for me, I think that's it. Just opens yourself up more because if if you're like, I don't know, if you imagine a band and you got a bass player who's like, you know what, I never play with anybody big. Mm. I'm a nobody, but I can play well. It's like, well, there's no expectation on you now to wow us. But if a guy says I've played with Alton John, you expect them to be the creme oh, de la yeah, creme, yeah. and any yeah, yeah. mistake they make, you're like, oh. Put it have done that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of digging their own grave a little bit, isn't it? You're right. Yeah, I like that. I don't know about... <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Just let them dig. I want to see people suffer. <laughs> <laughs> but then obviously you get the guys who, who can back stuff up with names. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a CV. Absolutely. There's a difference between listing off a CV and listing off, you know... Know, measuring how big your member is yeah thing. It's <laughs> but I remember talking uh, you remember Oz who used to teach us James Oscar. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and he told a funny story once about he was doing some TV show he was in the backing band for Gary Barlow from Take okay. That yeah yeah and uh, like because Oz was a big dude and he was like yeah they didn't have trousers in my size so he had to like try to squeeze Gary Barlow's trousers off his legs <laughs> And then people were like, oh my god, you play with Gary Barlow, that's so cool. And he just went, they paid me, it was just another gig. I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. earn more from that <clears> gig than I do um, doing a jam night yeah, or, yeah. or doing whatever. Like yeah, yeah. Going back to the guy who you, you said was thought he was riding the wave because yeah, he got yeah. the Leeds guitarist of the year. You're still playing to the same audience we are. Yeah. Maybe you're getting paid a bit more. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but that depends, Absolutely. depends if you think money is the bill and end or. Yeah, I mean, I was, exactly. Like, Osgate told me a story as well. He's great for that kind of thing. I think he was really great for grounding people. Mm. So saying, I saw him on the Graham Norton show with uh, Michael Bublé. Oh, wow. And I remember seeing him and he's doing percussion. He wasn't on kit. And there was a really obvious cowbell part in the song. It was just like on the beat. You know, one, two, three. And he was miming it off beat. Like it was on the eighth note. The off. And I, I, I called him out. I was like, oh, what? You had one job, man. What was that? And he went, I got paid for it, didn't I? I'm like, Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And it was really, it was really nice to see someone just be like, 
hey man, I went in and I did it and I got paid. Well, I think one, maybe not a mistake, but one thing I've certainly noticed is the tendency that musicians, maybe in our generation of players, has to romanticize and idealize the industry that, you know, we yeah. are going to be these, these giants that people mm. call on. And, you know, there are guys who, like the Ash Stones of this world, mm. um, who, you know, like worldwide international drummers who play for everybody. Yeah. But the reality is... That's the 1%. Yeah, you know, and I think people think that there's no way of making a living unless you do that, mm. which is not true at all. No, because um, you know, as much as we call ourselves session players, which implies that we play for artists and we're always doing that kind of thing, we are also playing pub gigs and weddings and yeah, that kind of stuff, and that's what pays the bills. Definitely. And if you get an artist who can pay you, a you know, a wage mm -hmm. per gig and gets regular work, that's amazing, and it's really quite rare. But it's not impossible mm. because if there's an audience, the audience will pay. Yeah. And if the audience pays, the artist will pay you. Yeah. So you just gotta. It takes time, connections, work on your playing and and your networking. But it's not. It's out there for everybody. There's enough work out there. Do you find it frustrating as a drummer that you're almost um, tied to playing with other musicians? It's not like you're a singer-songwriter. Um, or you, you, you know you can't go out with an acoustic guitar and your voice and play five nights a week uh, yeah it's something that's frustrated me more recently hmm. but it's not a frustration at other people I'm not jealous of other people no but it's, uh, you know it, it serves your ability to work as much as maybe you'd like to yeah yeah because there is something quite nice in, in just picking up a guitar and going out and standing in front of an audience just doing it maybe, mm. maybe like I said maybe just covers in a pub but you know it's 80 quid that's going to pay the pay the bills yeah. you know it's, it's going to help and yeah but it, it's not something I like yearn for I'm not looking out the window at a pub just going I wish I could <laughs> I wish I could do it just One looking day. at a flashing light of a slots machine yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. wishing it was you yeah exactly but, um, no I, I would like I wish I had the ability to do something like that Mm. Um, but it's fine talking about these different kind of gigs do you have a particular one that you like for instance I think weddings are hilarious yeah. because the dance floors get going yeah um, they're often hysterical watching my uncle try to yeah, yeah. like pull a bridesmaid yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> do you have any that you naturally gravitate towards you you're like yes I've got another wedding coming up or what do you like playing uh, I I like playing gigs that are huge energy mm, okay. um, because I feel like that, that's the kind of player I am right I, I play my best when it's louder mm. and, and more raucous and I might but this is the interesting thing I might not necessarily play technically as well as I might have done okay. because the louder means more movement and I'm probably not as proficient that way mm -hmm. um, but I, I love doing things like again the blues kitchen when the, they do Friday and Saturday nights and a few friends of mine play there as well they'll be able to vouch for this mm -hmm. is generally the energy is amazing from the crowd from the band and again what we were saying earlier if you make a mistake it's fine people turn around and smile at you and laugh because yeah. it's like ah you <laughs> you as long as it doesn't all just fall apart which it never really does because everyone's good enough to hold it together yeah so, as long as you keep going in somewhere you're going to find each other 
Yeah, so I don't really feel any pressure on that gig. And there's even one, there's a Blues Kitchen in Shoreditch, which I mm. love playing because the kit is at a weird angle. It's not in the middle facing out. It's right to the side of the stage, facing yeah. into the stage. And the crowd members are literally like right next to my shins. And sometimes it, it, I just love not knowing what's coming because one song you'll get someone tap me on the leg and go, excuse me, wait, what hi-hats are you playing? <laughs> and it's just like, man, it's one in the morning and everyone's smashed and we're playing Stevie One. leave me alone. And then someone else will come up to you and just like intensely stare you in the eyes while they're dancing. And it's just like, really? this is weird. But you get such a huge array of people <laughs> In such a small amount of time. And I really enjoy that. It's kind of funny to have that huge energy and respond to it, you know, and and just not know what's coming. Well, wow. I, I really need to come down to that one. I've been to the Camden one. I haven't been to the... I've been, I used to go to the Camden one a lot, actually. Yeah, it's a great little place. Um, really cool little place. And I used to really like it because I think sometimes some jam nights just get the regulars and they pick their friends and yeah. nobody new gets to come up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember kind of, I guess, when I started... Yeah, yeah, I must have moved to London, and that was like one of the jam nights that me and a few friends used to go to pretty regularly. Yeah, because they give you a chance. Yeah. They, they put you with people, because um, generally the level of playing there is great. Mm. Even if it, if they're not as good, you're supported by people who are great. So it all works quite nicely. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, that's, a, that's why I really, like, I really rate that jam night. Definitely. Um, and I think there's a tendency of maybe uh, kind of some of the fusion ones or the jazz ones around town, but yeah. there's a certain expectancy and, and yeah. snobbishness. Absolutely. And it's, it's very much like an in crowd. You walk in, you're the new guy and you don't know anyone and it's kind of like, yeah, cool, just get up and do it. And, and go. Yeah, leave. Fetch your song. It's my turn now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah do you find that you naturally, I mean, in my experience myself, I generally get given more rock gigs than anything probably yeah. because of the way I look yeah um, do you get typecast in any way to certain gigs maybe because of your playing style uh, yeah I definitely am a, on the rockier side of things um, I play a lot of blues mm. as well which I really love I love playing blues it does get a bit repetitive you can only hear 12 bars of music so many times <laughs> you know tell that to um, the guitar player yeah, so, uh, yeah exactly it's not for seven mate <laughs> yeah come on <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I don't think that's necessarily anything to do with me as a person I think it's just the crowd I got in with okay um, so the bass player for the Maid of Ales uh, is a very very good friend of mine a guy called Kelpie okay and he's quite big in that scene in the blues rock scene or the blues scene in the UK in general so like we'll be doing gigs with Matt Pierce, who's mm -hmm. in that scene as well, and everyone in the crowd knows Kelpie because of who they else they've seen him play with. Ah, uh, so he's that recognisable face. Yeah, okay, he, because you. he's younger as well than a lot of players, um, and he's great. Mm -hmm. So he's got everything. He's he's younger, which all the older crowd grab onto. He's an amazing player, which they grab onto, and he plays for some of the bigger artists in the scene. Great. So, it. it but knowing him. He's more like my agent now than my bass player or my anything like that. Because he calls you for yeah. gigs. Yeah. As soon as a drummer drops out of a gig in that scene, Ollie, do you, you want to yeah. wanna come and do it? So, Which is perfect, isn't it? You need yeah. those are the connections because it's funny how much you're kind of, <laughs> you rely on those guys as mm. much as an employer to pay your bills. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and that came purely just from the personal connection we have. You know, even outside of music, we're still really good friends. Mm. And it's really nice to have that connection with a bass player that, you know, I think every drummer has a bass player. They're like, everyone's great, but this is my guy. Yeah. 
or a bass player would have that about a drummer and stuff. And I feel like with me and him, we are those people for each other. Yeah, definitely. And so because he has that connection, it's worked nicely for me because I get gigged. I would like to think I have that with George Price. Yeah. Who you know. Yeah, um, yeah. because so you do Second Sons, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Um, and literally same scenario. Mm. Like we've got these gigs coming up. Do you want this? Yeah. Um, and it's don't drink in the interview. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was just trying My to make hydration you... is a second. <laughs> I was just trying to make you um spit your spit water it out. <laughs> it almost worked. It? Look. Oh. He's done it. Little purple patch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's and you do have those connections. So yeah, every absolutely. drum, every drum has a bass player. Yeah, and I think everyone has that. If guitarists have singers they love playing with, singers will have whoever. Because you just want to be surrounded by your mates. Yeah, things like blues music and rock music is so grassroots. Anyone can pick it up and do it. Hmm. And to play for artists like I do, I, and this is something I'm very aware of all the time. I'm really happy that I play for Matt Pierce for example, but I am hugely expendable. And I don't think that's a personal thing because me and Matt get on really, really well. We're really close friends. Yeah, He'd want me on the gig. If I can't make it, it's not the end of the world. Someone else can do that gig. And it's the same with blues. You know, blues, some of the blues gigs I do are completely improv. Like there's an artist called Eugene Bridges who's like this American guy in his late 50s now, I want to say. Okay. He doesn't tell you the set list. He doesn't tell you how the songs go. He'll count you in on the gig and it's go. And you have to just I go with it. I love those gigs so much. It's so much fun. Yeah. And he's got... In the blue, in the worldwide blues scene, he's known. He's a known guy. He's like... Not not like famous, famous, but in the blues scene, like, you know, he was friends with like B.B. King and stuff mm. like that. He's well respected. Yeah. yeah. yeah, And you can't mess that up. <laughs> and he appreciates the fact that he is doing that to you. But he'd rather have an on-the-fly gig than waste his time preparing because he, he's a nomad so he doesn't live anywhere he travels around the world and um, he's just called whoever's in town yeah exactly from, like the bass player hey do you know a drummer who can come and do this gig with me exactly it's recommendation and that's me and Kelpie me and Kelpie play for him that's how I got that oh gig. okay um, <laughs> I didn't know that that wasn't like me trying to look clever no 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 but that's, <laughs> but that's exactly how it worked um, and I can't remember what my point was. <laughs> About getting the pop gigs in like oh, yeah, such yeah. a small... But that's it, yeah. Because that scene is, is so much less... There's less exposure on it, but it's a wider scene. It's not... It's, it, pop scene is very narrow, but mm. it's up high. Yeah. Whereas the blues scene, rock scene, whatever, is much wider. There's much more depth to it, but it's not as exposed. It's kind of that pyramid effect, but it's just yeah. a few at the top, and then it trickles down. Exactly. And I think that's why those scenes are much better for younger players to get into because there's a lot of young bands who are in those scenes who are getting much more attention than they would if they were like pop artists and just playing the London circuit without anyone listening. No, it is interesting. And I found that um, doing a, a show with the Second Sons in December and it was like a venue that they played at regularly. Yeah. And people were coming up to me after the gig and they were like, oh, you're the new one. And I, I said to the guys from the band, I was like, do you know them? Do you know those people? And they were like, not really. They just sort of come to the gigs a lot and we chat yeah. afterwards. Mm -hmm. uh, not like they, they weren't being rude, but you're absolutely right. People are like, oh, because I remember when this person was in the band and now you, and just like, yeah. you're actually paying attention to the band, yeah. not the one artist. That's it. Uh, which is often the singer in mm -hmm. pop music. Of course. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting really how, and I think you're absolutely right. It's like five guys really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, which is fine. That, that, that's, I don't have an issue with that. But if I wanted to break into that, it's not going to happen. 
mm. because I don't play like they do. I don't have the, the image that they do. And I just don't know anyone in that scene. <laughs> so why am I going to waste my life fighting that? Why don't I just play my strengths and yep. get into this blues rock scene, which I prefer the music anyway. So, And obviously, if it's what you like, that's yeah. what matters more. Absolutely. Do you think, arguably, the pop scene is easier music to play? No. Okay. I, but I, I say that from a, someone as someone who's not really done a pop gig. Just because it's like often it's very much four to the floor, easy beats. Yeah. I think for me personally, it would be a bit tougher because I'm not too savvy on the whole tech side of things. Okay. Um, I, don't, I don't own an SPD. I don't own sampling mm-hmm. stuff. So I would have to sit down and learn that properly. Whereas there are guys who just know that. They've just got the whole setup. They had electric yeah. kits with like hybrid stuff, and they're just like exactly. ready to go. And I, I'm, I would love to have a hybrid setup, but it, I don't need it because of the scene I'm in, the music I play. It's just not needed. Mm. So I, I'm probably not the most suitable person for a pop group. So in terms of like, obviously, so that's a whole different skill set. In um, I don't want to call you like an everyday player, but someone mm. who's like you're, you're, you're expendable, and you can yeah. work with different bands yeah, yeah. within um, different genres, really. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're kind of dancing around sort of the mental health aspect of this as well because it, yeah. it, it's it's so psychological warfare with yourself, mm, in absolutely. my opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely, you're right, and it's it's you know one if even if you get past the self doubt and and accept it, it's then finding that motivation to go and practice and do it and not get bored, which I'm really bad of, guilty of. I know maybe yourself, maybe not, but I know a few other people as well who, after half an hour, you're just switching off, like oh, I just can't be bothered with this. But it's keeping that. That. It's for discipline. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I personally, I, I know I work best as a musician mm. uh, in terms of like, you know, my own personal practice. And I'm more de- dedicated if I have a layout of like, okay, in a month's time, I need to reach this goal. Sure. And I'm, then I'm held accountable to it because if I get to the end of the month and I haven't reached it, I think that's not good enough. Yeah. You know, and if I want to get better, I've got to keep reaching these goals. And I'm not talking about impossible stuff that, you know. No. I'm going to be the next Neil Peart at the end of April because I'm not. Like, <laughs> you know, and no. it's, it's like you said, going back to Oz, it's keeping yourself grounded in a sense yeah. as well and being realistic because some of these people, some of the players, I'm not, I know we're kind of getting really drum heavy on this chat, but guitar players, like bass players, any kind of instrument, sometimes it's just freaks of nature and you look at them yeah. and when the freaks of nature work hard at it, when they've got yeah. natural raw talent and yeah, want yeah. it, you're like, God damn you. Like, yeah, can't yeah, you yeah. be lazy when I can catch up to your <laughs> skill level? Yeah, well, yeah you've got to yeah. be good and you're a nice person. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, you've got it all. You're like, God, I just like you so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn you. But I just, I, I used to get really down about those things. You know, classmates we'd have who I just see as far superior to myself. But I stopped thinking of them as far superior and I just started to try and just get inspired by them. Mm. Um and also I think that you have the negative look that you have on yourself you think that other people share that negative look as well so you think say say you, someone you know a friend of yours is like a way better drummer or a way better musician they could be playing anything okay yeah and you think I wish I was that good a musician I'm just not as good as that I, I'm not as good as that so you say that to yourself and then you believe that that person thinks that about you as well Yes, and it's like, well, that's not the case because they might ask you to do a gig or, you know, even like if you put something on Instagram, they comment on it with the fire emoji, which is what people do now. 
yeah. you know, that's still something. You know, you like to think that you're friend enough that they're not being insincere. Mm. And so you just got to think. They're just further down the journey. I think Mike, Mike Johnson says this as well. It's a journey. Yeah. You know, you start when you first pick up the sticks and you end when you die. And he, people are just further along. Yeah. Further along the path. And that's okay. Completely agree. I don't think there is sort of better or worse than. No. It is further along. And like you said, sometimes you see an 18-year-old and they've just gone from zero to 100. And you're like, wow, you're just naturally good at that. Yeah. But it, sometimes it takes people... Uh, longer to learn which I guess comes back kind of to the session stuff as well because yeah. there's a certain anxiety when you're like well you've got to learn these five songs mm. by tomorrow night and if you're naturally just not a fast learner and can't internalise stuff that well and you're like well I'm teaching for eight hours tomorrow oh my god how am I going to do this yeah. and yeah, it's yeah. brutal yeah. and it's like well I guess I'm not sleeping tonight yeah it, it, they have I'm sure you've had to do that. Yeah, I yeah. know I have. Absolutely, man. I'll tell you the story of my least favourite gig of all time. The first time I ever played at Blues Kitchen mm. was 2016. Okay. So I was like 20, 20, 22, 23. Okay. And um, I just got off tour, at this amazing pop, the only pop tour I've ever done. <laughs> okay. Which wasn't even pop, it was more soul rock kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and the guy who's on bass runs the house band for Blues Kitchen. Cool. A guy called Kev, and he was like, "Man, yeah, I've got this gig for you. If you want to do it, just see how you get on. Uh, no pressure, but it's cool. It's in a week's time. Can you do it?" I was like, "Yeah, man, just send me the set list." He was like, "Great." And I had two uh, two hours of music to learn. Okay. With very specific arrangements. <laughs> I was like, "Right," <laughs> and I kind of did that thing where I spoke to myself and was like, "You can do this, man. It's not a problem. Just I got sit. it. Yeah. yeah, it's all cool. Just learn the song." And I vastly underprepared. Really vastly unprepared. And it wasn't the fact that I was just like, I, I've got this, it's fine, don't worry. It was just, I didn't appreciate how much work I would have to put in. Because mm. I was still naive about that kind of thing. Um, and the gig was a shit show. <laughs> it was awful. And I remember, like, oh, no. I was panicking. Again, my timekeeping must have been terrible. Um, counted in stuff wrong. It, it, literally, any problem that you think you had, I had it. It happened that <laughs> night. And I remember afterwards, everyone was just like, everyone was being nice, you know? Too nice. Yeah, everyone was like, yeah, good job, man. Didn't speak to me. It wasn't Good like, effort. Yeah, That's it was the that, worst, isn't it? Yeah. No, no one nice made, try. <laughs> yeah. It, it felt exactly like that. And I was crushed. And I really wanted to do that gig. And I really wanted to get regular work there. Mm. And I didn't get a call back for a year and a half. Wow. And the reason I got a call back, and this is the only time I've ever done this, because I went to the jam night, which Kez runs. Yeah. The Sunday night. And um, I said to him, look, man, I know it was a long time ago. Please give me another chance. Please. I want this so much. Wow. And, and to him, it's just a thing that he does. You know, all the other players, it's just a gig they have on Friday night. Mm, yeah. And I can see that because they've been doing it for so many years. But for me, as a young player then, I wanted it so badly. Uh because I, I thought it was just the coolest thing playing in this club and bar and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's like a Friday night blues bar thing it's just <laughs> like and the money's alright and like it's so cool I'll be really young look at the crowd there's loads of chicks in the crowd it kind of was like that as yeah. well it's like oh, I want this more than anything please give me another chance and he went okay <laughs> fine and that time he only gave me half the amount to learn he only put me on one set rather than two okay yeah which was really good yeah yeah, yeah. i learned that stuff inside out and nice. the gig was so good and i've been there ever since amazing so 
I think it's a really good lesson. I'm really glad you told that story because yeah. we've all had, I think anyone who said they've never had a bad gig is absolutely lying because we've all had gigs where you underprepare or, or just whatever and it doesn't yeah, go yeah. right. But yeah. to come back from that and approach a guy, I think is such a great story. Yeah, and uh, it, I could only do that because I knew him personally because he was the bass player on this tour. So Yeah, you had a good relationship with him. Yeah, and he's, a, he's, um, he's an interesting chap. So I didn't know how to approach him on it, but I just... I think I had a bit of Dutch courage with a, bit of, <laughs> a few points. Uh, and I just went out and was like, look, man, please just give me another chance. He just came out and said it like yeah, that. Yeah. Just, you were just straight with him. Yeah, I, I think I, I just had to be. Otherwise, I'd just be like, oh, you know, have you got any, any free slots? Come on. I didn't want to pussyfoot around it. Cause, no, you've got to be direct sometimes. Yeah, and knowing the kind of guy he is, I, I thought that would probably work best. And it did work. And, Great. But I had to prove to him that I could do it. It wasn't just like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool, yeah, fine, fair enough. It was like, and he was on that gig. He nice. was there to make sure that I was doing it right, and I, I did a good job. So. Were you nervous getting up to play? Yeah. How yeah. did you combat those nerves? Um, Dutch courage. I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> get smashed at every game. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Sound great. Yeah, yeah. I very much cannot drink and play. No, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm the I'm same. Terrible. Even just like a sniff of a pint, and I'm just like, Ugh, not good. Um, <laughs> so I save it till afterwards. <laughs> um, but I just had to roll with it. I think there are certain gigs where I, you get good nerves, which is like mm. anticipation more than nervousness. Yeah. But you feel the butterflies, but you're like, you kind of know what you're doing, so it's like excitement. Mm -hmm. And to do that, I, I always run about and jump about. People think I'm probably quite annoying, but if I feel like that, I will. I have energy and I have to get it out. Because if I get the energy out beforehand, then I can focus during the gig. No, and that makes perfect sense. It's All it is, it's the physical reaction of the adrenal glands secreting yeah. adrenaline. And you're moving it around your body. That's why yeah. dancers do that before the gigs. Yeah, yeah. To I get think, themselves moving. I think it's really good. And I think people should probably, if it works for you, it doesn't work for everybody. But just have a run about. And, and mm. Jumping jacks, anything like that. You know, just get, it doesn't have to be mad. Just get some energy out. And that, that really helped me. But for that, that gig particularly, it was the bad kind of nerves. Where, again, I, I was prepared, but I doubted myself. Yeah. I, and that talk that I had with my, that I normally have with myself, saying you got this, it didn't work. It was one of the few times it really failed, and I was shaking, yeah, uh, sweating. Wow. I had some. I also was on the gig with the same guitar player that I had with the first time, and so he was kind of a bit like this kid again. <laughs> <laughs> like he remembered you from a year and a half ago. Like, yeah. Really? Is he? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> and um, I just had to get through it. But I just, again, just had to trust in the fact that I'd prepared. And how was the reaction from the band afterwards? Good. I remember everyone said the same stuff, but they meant it. Do you know what I mean? You can tell. I can tell, yeah. They, were, their like, eyes. they yeah. were like, cool, that, that, was, that was really good, well done. And I think as well, when if people want to hang out with you after the gig, mm. or be your friend, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I say it sort of validates that you've done a good job, but you're like, well, they want to spend time with me, like, yeah. so they're clearly happy and satisfied. Yeah, yeah. Not always, I suppose, but, but generally. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if, if, if they're more, if they're warmer with you, it might, it's not a personal thing. It's just they enjoy the gig more, so they're not going to be as down about it and yeah. stuff like that. So they're going to be more open, I think. Okay. Yeah, that was a, that was a fun part of my life. Um, so just starting to wind down now a little bit. Yeah. Um, in terms of stuff you got coming up for 2020, so you were talking about the Maid of Veils. Yeah. Um, tell us what else is coming with you. Uh, or what so, you got yeah so we've got that um, we've got a new EP coming out as well so the first single of this four track EP 
That'll okay. be coming out in the next month or so, I yeah. think. Um, aside from that, I want to spend this year being a bit more creative. Hmm. And I say that outside of the Made of Veils, because the Made of Veils is kind of like the two, the lead guitarist and the singer kind of write most of it, and then they bring it to myself and Kelpie, and we kind of add our twist to it. But okay. we're not too involved day-to-day with it, hmm. which is fine. I think it's it's just the way the band works. It works best that way. And we just commit to whatever they want us to. And, okay. And we do that as best we can. And I think it's a good system. Um, but I want to get more involved with kind of my own writing. Mm. Um, because I've spent a few years now playing for other people. Mm-hmm. And I will continue to do that because I love it. But I just have that kind of urge to, to Absolutely get understand that. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just going to try and maybe set up a little trio. Rock out. See what comes out. I really enjoy singing. Cool. So I might do some more singing. Um, but I think that's what this year is going to be about for, for me just advancing my session playing mm-hmm. getting a few more gigs regular work maybe yeah. and just trying to focus on keeping myself a bit more creatively happy I think Amazing. so no, nothing like I, don't, I can't say I've got like well I've got an album coming out in September <laughs> or anything like that you know it's just more of a conceptual kind of plan that I've got but you know honestly I think that's such a great answer because you've really I think encapsulated the world of a session musician yeah. because it's like well I think I've got an EP coming out soon maybe some more regular work and then if we sit down in 12 months time and do this podcast again I'm sure you're going to tell me the two albums you played on the yeah. tour you ended up doing yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the jam nights you're now uh, you know playing every month or whatever yeah. it is and it's just that you just got to roll with it and I think I guess <laughs> to answer the question of a podcast like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that is the relevance of session musicians yes yeah, if we're going straight back to that question of like, what is the relevance of session musicians? It's very easy to say and argue possibly that we're just not needed anymore because there's backing tracks and, mm. and, and sampling and stuff. But I think that's a cop-out answer that someone who doesn't understand music would say that. And I think it doesn't matter who you are, like Stormzy, Ed Sheeran, all these guys, they don't play with, back, with backing bands, but they do, even they do it sometimes mm. because there's nothing like even if people are miming, there's nothing like seeing humans doing music because that's what it all comes down to. It's a very human thing. Mm. Um, and so it could be the most chopped up, auto-tuned thing in the world, but there's still a human doing it. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd just go to live concerts and listen to sounds through PAs for two hours. <laughs> you still want to see the human, don't you? Definitely. The humans. And I think it's, it's, even if it's less about the music, session musicians still need to do a good enough job that they can convincingly pull it off as well and that's where our craft is but fortunately I think even the big live pop acts they play live Yeah. so people aren't losing that love for live music so we are still very relevant We're not a, the session musicians aren't a dying breed or anything like that maybe it's not quite the same as it was in the 80s 70s where it was a bit easier but Things evolve. It's not better or worse. It's just evolved. It's just different now. Yeah. Wow. Um, I think that's a really nice way to round off the podcast. So, Ollie, thanks so much for coming. I really pleasure. appreciate it, man. <laughs>